0: And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and today we are going to dive into a revolution, that's right, and not a not a shot will be fired, ladies and gentlemen, not one shot in this revolution because it's a parenting revolution, okay, and this parenting revolution is for a higher Evolution, that's actually the title of the book, A Parenting Revolution for Higher Evolution. It's raising resilient, responsible, compassionate kids from the inside out. And our special guest today is the author of said book, Julie Phillips-Hatch. And Julie, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Tell Me Your Story.
1: Well, Richard, thank you very much. It's great to be here, and thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. And, of course, uh, we all aren't parents in, in adulthood, but we all had parents of yeah. one form or another, and they did the best they could with what they had at the time. Uh, I take full responsibility for who I am and where I am, and the circumstances under which I live. Whereas there are those who blame of their parents. It would be nice if uh, the children of today would be able to say the same when they reach adulthood, that they take full responsibility for their lives and that their parents did the best that they could. Uh, before we dive into the work that you have done in this particular volume, do you think that that is uh, the general Attitude, and I, I'm not sure exactly where we want to cut the age limit off at 18. But would you say, uh, with your experience uh, with the young people, uh, that we have more young people, uh, teens, and so forth, who are taking responsibility for their lives and the, the circumstances and so forth, and they're not blaming themselves, their parents, or society?
1: No, I think that a lot of kids are not taking responsibility Ah! for their lives.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's too bad. You're right. That's too bad because (laughs) the victim mentality is what you're saying is still alive and well today.
1: um, Yes, but there also could be good reason for it. The way that parents overprotect their kids, they don't give them the opportunity to take responsibility for their lives. Wow. So, yeah, so that it's not all on the kids' kids' shoulders. I think that uh, what they grow up with does influence the way they come out, but they're not given the opportunity to take responsibility when they're young. They're overprotected. They are um, coddled. And so that doesn't, that makes it really difficult to grow up and get on with your life as an adult in a responsible way.
0: Well, you know, I find it interesting. Um, uh, your, your book, of course, A Parenting Revolution for Higher Evolution. I really like that. Uh, it's basically um, rather provocative. And of course, it's for consciously awakened parents who are searching for an easy way to raise their kids in today's complex, high pressure, rapidly changing world. <laughs> but you could say that about any generation, couldn't you? I mean, how is how is this any different than any other time in history for kids?
1: Arguably, it is it is not the same, but no, perhaps no more difficult than other times. Certainly, I didn't live during the Depression, but certainly historically, there have been very hard times for um, kids growing up. And I've mentioned that and people say, oh, but this is so terrible. And they've been through the pandemic. And, yeah, it's terrible. But that yeah they're not the one and the first and only generation to go through this i would agree with you there so
0: if that's the case then um what what, (laughs) and we'll bring it into the present moment looking at the past looking at our history what is it that uh, and we've sort of alluded to it already what is it that parents and our educational system and and healthcare and so on and so forth what is it that we have been doing wrong say for the last what 10 20 30 years that i guess was done right i don't i'm not sure uh in generations gone by like my parents my dad's 90 my mother's 87 um they've been married for 66 years this june uh you know uh i i turned alright I mean, you know, <laughs> so what did they do right in my perspective? What did they do right? And and what have we been doing wrong for the last 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever odd number of years uh, uh, kids have been coming into this world?
1: I think that a um, couple of the factors are that life, the world is going at a faster and faster pace. Technology has ramped everything up and there's more information coming at everybody and there's just life happens faster, faster, faster. It's busier and busier. There's practically no downtime, which can affect mental health. And um, we, I think, many parents, not all parents, a lot of things that I say are not complete blanket statements, but in general, what I see is that parents are putting on a whole, putting a whole lot of pressure on their kids to perform and to perform either to to for uh, the right ends, whether it's a great job or a college spot or something like that, um, or pressure to meet the parents' expectations, or the neighbors' expectations, or the grandparents' expectations, whatever it may be, they are being pressured to be a certain way that may not fit what the way that they really are cut out to be. Mm. So I think that it's the busyness and the and the pressure.
0: All right. One of the uh, other elements here that uh, we can talk about too, I think, is the the uh, the institutions that we currently have. and and I I, I want to kind of bring this up only because it just kind of resonated with me a little bit. Uh, not long ago, and it wasn't that long ago, not in a galaxy far far away. It was right here. Uh, <laughs> we. We had huge controversy over whether to send the kids back to school during the COVID era or not. I kept hearing how, well, the kids are safer at school than they are at home because kids don't spread these these things. I'm going, I don't know what planet you're from, but every time the flu hit and the parents would send the kids to school, one of the kids would come to school with the flu, they would be contagious, maybe not with symptoms, but they were contagious, and they spread it throughout the school. Uh, like ah. I said, I don't know what planet you're from, but that's what happens here on this planet. Uh, but then you would also hear how bad our public education system is. It is horrible. Uh, you know, like we're, you know, if, if there was a, a million. We'd be, at, uh, uh, we'd be at a million. We'd be the millionth. We'd be so far down on the, on the totem pole, right? So I'd ask the question, okay, you want your kids back into school, but it's a horrible educational system. I, I don't understand. Why would you send your children back to a horrible educational system?
1: I think that the number one reason is because it's childcare. It's a way that the child, children are being taken care of, so that
0: parents can go back to work. Uh, I think that
1: that is the number one
0: reason. Wow. Now you, uh, you, you are uh, uh, you're a parenting expert. So I have to, I have to. I, I don't want to assume, but I'm going to conclude that you have children. I do. I okay. have three children. <laughs> so you do definitely have experience. <laughs> but you're also a holistic health practitioner and a pediatric nurse practitioner. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the holistic uh, healing aspects of the work that you do.
1: Well, the holistic aspect that I do comes from my um, education in I went to acupuncture school um, fifteen years ago. so, acupuncture school, you learn about traditional Chinese medicine, which is an alternative kind of a medicine, Eastern medicine, Eastern philosophies, Eastern religions, um, and acupuncture is is one form of that of the medicine. So, and and those well, Chinese medicine I can obviously speak best to because that's what I know are so rich in history and depth in the way they deal with health and disease and. Religion and nature and everything—they're just so—it's just so rich and deep that I find it that both using my acupuncture to help people with their physical illnesses or their emotional um, illnesses or helping with kids and their behavior, drawing upon what I learned from Chinese medicine is um, is so helpful. Uh, There's almost always an answer. (laughs) <laughs> that I can come up with when i when I apply Chinese medicine to whatever's facing you know facing me in the clinic
0: and there's another aspect to that too from my perspective um <laughs> the Chinese uh, practitioners of medicine did not need fda approval <laughs> and my understanding correct me if I am wrong here is that, the reason they did not need that, number one, obviously the institution didn't exist, but the most important element is that they knew that what they were doing worked. worked.
1: Yeah, you're right. And what's interesting about Chinese medicine and acupuncture or Chinese medicine is that their motto, so in Western medicine here, we the proof is in the in the lab in the petri dish in the in the laboratory Mm -hmm. and then we take it to the people in chinese medicine the proof is in the clinic it's in the thousands and thousands of people that respond to a form of treatment which is which western medicine is doesn't isn't comfortable with that
0: (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) that's very interesting because it's it obviously uh, I know that our our institutions uh, of, of uh, medicine and so forth i uh, are um, threatened by outside sources. One of the things I find so fascinating here in this country is regardless of what the institution is, we don't want to learn from anybody on the outside we're this is America. We'll figure it out, you know. Don't don't give us the answer. We, you know, we're we're so independent and it's like, "No, we're interdependent. We've got to learn from one another." Do you find that that's do you find that that attitude is becoming more prevalent?
1: I think so. I think it's the old old school and especially the old boys network in in western medicine that they they're fading. <laughs> are fading by the wayside. And the younger and newer generations are becoming, I think, are beginning to be more accepting. Uh, in fact, I know they are a more integrative kind of medicine. And it's not really that one is right and one is wrong. Because if you are having a heart attack, or if you just got in a car accident, you have a bleeding head injury, I wouldn't go to an acupuncturist, I'd go to an emergency room. Right. So there is a there is a need for both, both ends of the spectrum. And coming together in the middle, I think is ideal, blending the two, using one when it's appropriate. But yes, to answer your question, I think that it is coming you're in California. I'm in Massachusetts, and things start in California. It takes forever for things <laughs> to come east to Massachusetts. Um, so it's beginning to get more accepted. In the in the regular hospitals, there's acupuncture and Chinese medicine and other alternative modalities, which is great to see.
0: Yeah. I know that in the 80s, I was working for a station in Phoenix that had a, uh, a chiropractor on. Mm-hmm. And I remember the challenges that they went through to eventually – be covered by insurance, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was just extraordinary uh, how how the 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 struggles that chiropractors went through. So, um, uh, it's really really uh, interesting how eventually, eventually, uh, you know, people, um, you know, the the system eventually does come around, but it's like it takes forever. Uh, yeah. Herbology, for example.
1: Sorry, say that again?
0: Herbology? Yeah. Herbalist, yep. yeah.
1: Doctors, I know Western medicine is very skeptical about, I mean, I think, I know almost everybody takes some kind of a supplement. And Western medicine is not a big proponent of um, supplements because they're not FDA approved. And so I think it's just in our nature or in the medicine's nature to, unless it's proven with studies, with you know, statistics and numbers, which there's a lot of validity to that. But if it doesn't have that, that, then there is no stamp of approval for them. So,
0: yeah, yeah. And that's, that's too bad because, you know, uh, the <laughs> if there are only a few people who have this res- respective condition and we've got to do studies, uh, they're out there doing the studies over year after year after year after year. Oh, we've okay. We got it. Okay. Well, we can do this. I'm sorry, those six people are dead. Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, (laughs) right?
0: whereas with, let's just say Chinese medicine, because it's your area, um, you know, these people are going to get help and probably benefit from it and have longer, more quality of life lives uh, because they were treated right then, right there, Whereas in this country in particular, do you, do you see the same kind of situations? I'm not sure how worldly you are in that regard or, or, or what have you. Are other are, are medical uh, institutions around the world, like the U.S., they're skeptical and have got to run tests, or are they a little bit more, uh, li- little more, uh, if I may use the word, progressive in their uh, concern for the patient, concern for the health and well-being of human beings.
1: I don't have enough experience to really make a comment. Okay. The only place I've been out of the country um, for medical purposes—actually, um, a few, couple places. But anyways, I went to Brazil um, to go for a medical mission, and they—they did, they did a lot of other stuff. I wouldn't—I don't know if I'd call it progressive, but it was more, much more um, open-minded to other other kinds of things. And um, I used to live in the. On the, in the Virgin Islands of the U.S. and people there would travel to other countries and I can't even name which ones because they seem like, you know, third world countries, but they weren't. People would travel to these countries to have eye surgery and dental surgery that, which was much better, much less expensive than in the United States. So, yeah, the U.S. is not, I won't, U.S. has a good medical system. Their, their, their medicine is good, but it's not the be-all end-all.
0: Mm, yeah. Well, and again, there are those who will certainly be uh, uh, proponents of Western medicine because it helped them. I mean, it's like with you. You know, you talk about uh, if this happened, I would uh, stick with Chinese medicine. But if this happened, I mean, I had an infected gallbladder and uh, a golf ball sized gallstone. And uh, yeah, I'm. I don't think a neurologist would have uh, would have been a good idea at the time. No. <laughs> you know. Um, you know. I, although I did, uh, as I, I, I love to joke about this, I did uh, uh, I did win a gold medal in the Because Oli- the Olympics were going on at that time, I won yeah. a gold medal in the uh, gallbladder clean and jerk. <laughs> <coughs> there you go. Um, we're talking. What's that? <laughs>
1: Congratulations. Oh well,
0: thank you so much. I I'm so I have that hanging uh, on my wall at home. We're talking with with uh, parent expert, uh, holistic healer, and pediatric nurse practitioner. Her name is Julie Hatch. juliephillipshatch.com dot com is the website, and uh, she is talking to us today about a work that she has put together called A Parenting Revolution for Higher Evolution. And this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for staying with us. I want to ask you, Julie Hatch, JuliePhillipsHatch.com is her website. Uh, I want to ask you in regards to this parenting revolution, what are we only speaking about health and wellness aspects uh, in regards to a parenting revolution, or maybe give us a rundown on the different categories that you um, address. I almost use the word attack, but address in, in this book.
1: I think that overall, so my passion is kids. I want to help kids have the best chance of a life as they can to have the best life that they can and best life is up for, Discussion and definition, um, and so to do that, I work with parents. I can't raise all the kids in the world, and I would no, but they wouldn't want me to. My kids aren't perfect, so I want to help parents raise their kids to be the highest potential that they can be. And I don't mean potential is in one, e- earning the most money, unless that's exactly, unless that's very much what the child wants. But it is. Um, it's about like I say, just, just giving the kids the best chance that they can and our world, as we all know, the kids are the future generation of our, our (laughs) our future generations are the future of the world. And if we want a better world, um, then we want to get to it through our kids. They're the ones that's going to be creating the, the next world. And so I believe that it's our responsibility to make them as conscious and conscientious as we can to bring it, to be a help, make it a better world or a more beautiful world.
0: Mm. That's what we're uh, uh, striving for with this program, is to make this a better world for everyone. Here's um, Here's the twist, though, Julie. Your better and my better may not be the same thing. How do we bring those ideas together?
1: Well, I think that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think that we all want peace in the world we want um people to feel safe and secure not at war i think that we want optimal health care for our loved ones we want good education for our kids i think that there are basics that i think most people would agree upon how we get there is up for discussion but i think that we all kind of want the same kind of thing to have and save our planet. I don't know. Do you? Would you agree with that? That we want those basics.
0: Well, you know what's interesting, and I'm glad you bring this up because <laughs> I had a conversation with my younger brother when I was back in Phoenix uh, uh, not too long ago, and we had one of those those heart to heart conversations. Yeah. And uh, he and I are, uh, we'll say, philosophically, we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Okay. We're at opposite ends of the spectrum, and uh, uh, I knew going in that this was true. And as we are talking, I mean, we are, you know, not going at it hammer and tong or anything like that, but uh, we're having quite a spirited conversation. But as we got closer to the end of our conversation, which was actually brought about by my mother, who came out of the bedroom and said, Boys... Still calling us boys. Uh, He's 60 and I'm 62. (laughs) Boys, it's one Um, o'clock. We began to recognize that we did both want the same thing. But just as you stated, we had different perspectives on how to get there. Uh, I remember talking about the the, and and we won't get into this here because it's not relevant. But the conversation was around immigration. Right. And what was going on at our southern border. And I said, uh, I made the comment to him, I says, it's not the guy in the White House's fault. doesn't matter who's in the White House. It's not their fault. It's not their responsibility either. It's Congress. They're the ones that are supposed to make the laws. They're not doing their job. We need to clean house and da-da-da. And he agreed. So, (laughs) my God, you know, and I tell you what, that conversation was not going to lead to an an estrangement between myself and my brother in any way. I wasn't going to allow it. Because it's not worth it. You know, it's just not. But that's what I'm talking about. And that's what you were just talking about in terms of uh, having to sit down and saying, "Okay, we all agree that we want a how do we get there? And we need to keep the we need to keep the energy level low here. We don't want to get it all ramped up because that isn't going to help us come to a solution collectively.
1: Yep. this is a, the, um, I don't know if I write about this in the book, I just wrote a blog about it, the us versus them mentality, yeah. the divisiveness in this country, mm-hmm. which is, I think, quite problematic. And one of the ways to, I think, bring things less divisive is to ha- be able to have conversations and people that completely disagree with you, have conversations with them and realize that maybe you're not really all that different. You all kind of want the very similar things.
0: Well, I so know, it doesn't, go ahead, go ahead.
1: It doesn't have to be so divisive, although that's a really, it sounds like a Pollyanna thing to say because we no. are divisive, but that's a, that's where to start. It's a conversation on what we do all want um, and all the values that we do share.
0: Exactly, exactly right. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we, we've got to sit down and dialogue regardless of our uh, political, religious, economic, educational differences. Um, you know, uh, some of the most educated people come up with some of the dumbest ideas and some <laughs> of the stupidest people, I shouldn't say that, the mo- some of the most ignorant, and uh, the difference between stupid and ignorant, ignorant, you don't know. Uh-huh. Stupid is you do know, and you still do what someone ignorant who doesn't know would do. Yep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but we're all here to learn lessons, okay? And one Hi. of those lessons is we've got to work together, or... We're going down like the Titanic, okay. Yep.
1: And that's the ba- that's a lot partly what's behind what I call an evolution is raising us through our kids, raising our humanity to a a, a I'm going to call it a higher level, a better level where we're not always at war and always fighting, but can sit down and have a civil conversation. That's I think a higher evolution.
0: And I think that my brother and I achieved that. I have to be honest with you. I really do. I really think that he and I had that conversation, <clears throat> uh, you know, even though, you know, and I, 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 I can sit here and I can spout all I want about what he said. Uh, but I felt like I was watching uh, some of the conservative talking heads in the echo chambers because, boy, he had the talking points down. Once we got beyond that We began to understand that we both want the same thing. You know, uh, we just see things differently. That's all. And that's a good thing because I would think even for parents, uh, would you, would you, this is something that I find interesting too. Uh, Am I mistaken? Your experience with parents as well as children, parents in particular, um, older parents uh, seem as though they want to go back to the way it was in the 50s. You know that whole area, uniforms and very strict, rigid rules and so forth. It's like, well, you know, you can't go back. How um, do how do you go about helping? And, and oh, let me let me back that one up real quick here. Are there elements of the past in parenting that still do work, or are you literally revamping this whole parenting paradigm?
1: No, there are definitely some things that um, that are, are pertinent in today's that we should – that were a practice back in the 50s that we should be practicing now. Like? But, okay, um, such as letting your children run around outside, <laughs> having a little unstructured play, let them just pick up a basketball game with their neighbors – granted you know not running out in the middle of a busy street but they need to provide a place where they can run around and play time out in nature running around climbing trees getting dirty falling in puddles that kind of stuff not overprotecting them and allowing them some free range. I guess it's called free range play. And it's—and what's most important is that there is no adult intervention. <laughs> Maybe there's an adult to make sure that everybody stays safe and nobody kills themselves by falling out of a tree that's too high. But otherwise, no parental intervention, no dictating how things are supposed to be done, let the kids do it. Um, free play. There's a movement, I think, that's going, going to that. And I do hear a lot of a lot of parents say, gee, you know, we were so lucky back when I was growing up, we came home when the sun went down. You know, my parents didn't really care where I was. And that isn't quite possible these days. Um, But certainly allowing for more free play for expanding the boundaries, not keeping them so constricted into the backyard or in the house. But on the other hand, we also, like you say, we can't go back to the future. It's progress. Technology is here. We want to incorporate technology into our kids' lives. Mm-hmm. And ideally, progress <laughs> Progress is good. Progress, Generally, I think progress is good. So we do want to keep moving things forward. But some of the values, as long as they're pertinent in today's current time, um, we can bring along with us. Again, I, I just think that the... Overprotection has gotten to be a problem, and it was not a problem, I don't believe, back in the fifties.
0: Yeah, it's it is interesting um, when we take a look at, at at some of this stuff and and ask ourselves, what the heck are we doing? You know, <laughs> um, you know, and and I I I don't know about you, but I get a little put off about the complaining. Um, how do you feel when you hear people uh, speaking disparagingly of some other parents' parenting styles or even the educational system or what should be taught? I mean, we're watching right now. Uh, I don't know about you. We're kind of like uh, the young Sheldon comedy. Um, uh-huh. And they're deal- they dealt in one episode with sex education. Uh, but it's of course, was at the uh, at the preschool, uh, not the preschool, the uh, Bible study level uh, uh, that that they were because kids were asking questions. You know, the young kids were asking questions. And so they debated over whether or not to deal with it. And in the long run, they decided, Meh, we're not even going to touch it. Uh, we're going to leave uh-huh. this up to the family at home. And the family at home didn't want to deal with it either. And it's like, so where are these kids supposed to learn about these things? You know what I'm saying? Um, Are you talking about specifically
1: sex education?
0: Well, sex education or anything else that's controversial—that uh, uh, that you know—that uh, <laughs> nobody wants to deal with because oh no, that's 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 too sensitive, and we don't. No, kids shouldn't start uh, learning about this stuff at this age. And if they're asking questions, it's time for them to learn about something.
1: I completely agree, and I think that. First and foremost, it's the parents' responsibility. I don't think it's the school's. I think it's nice if the school, um, if they would step up to the plate and educate them, but not all parents feel that way. And I can, you know, I'm not a school administrator. I I wouldn't know how to deal with it. But I do think that as administrator of your own family, (laughs) you can decide what you're going to teach, what you're going to teach your children. And I completely agree with you. If they're asking, it's never too soon. <laughs> if they're asking, it's definitely not too soon. And I don't think it's hardly ever too soon to start talking about that. And then all of this stuff with um, transgender and gender selection, it's happening in younger and younger years, which initially I was just blown away by but it's what's happening I've been reading about in the American Academy of Pediatrics an article that they put out so it's a real thing and it's should be dealt with (laughs) can't just put our you know put our heads in the sand and pretend it's not a problem I have not a problem that's not a problem an issue mm -hmm. or something to be talked about
0: right okay Um, my eldest sister who just passed she has a daughter her daughter has a daughter Uh, my second oldest sister has two daughters uh, no offspring. Uh, my third uh, eldest sister, uh, young. Actually, it's my younger sister. Uh, she has kids, but from a previous marriage uh, by her husband, who is a widower. And then my uh, youngest sister has no children. I have no kids. My brother has kids from at least one previous. Yeah, one previous marriage. Do I have a leg to stand on when I'm talking about this subject? Because I have no kids. I'm not a parent.
1: Well, yes, but you certainly can have an opinion. So I think I don't whether well, do you have a leg to stand on. I'm not quite sure, but you can certainly voice your opinion and what you see. I don't know um, what your interaction is with kids, but you know what you see going on and what you read about. Yeah, you you certainly have a point. Do you come? Does do you have a hard time having these conversations with oh, your
0: siblings? Absolutely not. No, no, no. We get along yeah. really well when it comes to conversations like this. Um again, I, I, my brother and I, we went down that, that little yellow brick road that we went down, uh, and we didn't kill each other. Unlike when we were young kids, <laughs> and we damn near did. Uh, but that had nothing to do with philosophy. That had to do with playtime outdoors. Yeah, <laughs> and you make a very valuable, a very important point in terms of getting kids outside. I mean, my God, we played in the dirt all the time. We made tents out in the backyard to my mother's consternation. Uh, we <laughs> built forts out of these pallets my father would bring home from work. Um, we would step on nails. We would. Uh, I don't remember getting a tetanus shot when I was a kid. Maybe I did. I just don't recall it um, because we were out, we were running around barefoot because yeah. we could. You know. Um, and, and I think, oh, my gosh, they're missing out. Today, they're missing out on so much.
1: Oh, it's such a – I find it very – and I sound like an old fart saying this, <laughs> but I really do think that it is so disturbing that there are kids that – and I've seen it, I've witnessed it um, – that just, you know, they go outside and, ah, I don't want to be out here, and they want to go back inside and be on their devices. And that is happening way too much. It's just not good. It's not good for their mental health or their physical health. So um, I had said that I think that there is a movement coming back for this free range play. And just to give you what has been shown in studies, how it can help, how it benefits kids is that it uh, teaches them social skills that they just really don't have any other way to learn as well as if when they're free playing together, groups of kids playing together, they learn cooperation, they learn how to make their own rules, enforce their own rules as a group. Um, how to compromise, how to accept defeat, um, how to resolve conflicts. It's a whole, there's a whole host of things that it, and that's just, that's not even talking about nature, which unto itself is a big thing with behavioral problems and uh, mental problems, depression, being out in nature helps. So the combination of free play outside is just a win-win kind of a thing. And I really hope that this movement I'm going to jump on the bandwagon and move it forward because, boy, it's really important.
0: We are talking with Julie Hatch, juliefillipshatch.com. A Parenting Revolution for Higher Evolution is our conversation, and this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and thank you so much for joining us here on the program as we talk with Julie Hatch, who is sharing with us her perspective <laughs> from her work and the things that she does. I I I think that one of the the aspects that is... Um, and I bring this up on occasion, and this is dealing with the educational process, not the system per se. Although it, it kind of applies. One of help me out with this um, because I've shared this idea. You know, you hear every so often on the news about a particular uh, school district. Ah, uh, the budget, budgets, and well, we don't have enough. We're going to have to start cutting classes. And what do they cut? What do they usually cut? Music, art art uh they will maybe uh, i don't know if they'll cut necessarily physical ed but they cut what we would consider to be what like the liberal art classes in in grade school and high school all right right and i said okay well wait a minute wait a minute well hold it stop don't cut and i'll use the term liberal arts courses Mm
1: -hmm.
0: cut the basics cut the basics you know why let's let's just stick with music for starters All right, I learned to play the baritone in high school. I learned to play the piano in eighth grade. I learned to play the violin, the accordion, uh, the recorder. Uh, I'm trying to think of what others, as well as singing. Now, let's just take the baritone alone, as well as the music. What's the baritone made of? Brass. What is brass? Where do you get it? All right, Mm. now you're getting into the area of what? Chemistry and geology. All right? Uh, then you're going to look at the sheet music and you're looking at the notes and you're looking at the whole notes, half notes, uh, quarter notes, eighth notes, sixteenth notes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, triplets and bada da da all of the, the, the musical aspects. What are you learning there? Math. Lyrics to the songs, which I put it in this context, uh, a lot of songs that we listen to it's poetry put to music. Mm-hmm. So now you're learning literature. All right, who wrote the song? Now you're learning history. All right, now granted, this is very rudimentary. And my by, by the way, my brother thought I was an idiot for bringing this up. I mean, I was no, because you got to have the basics. It's like really, because what you're doing with what my example shows is you are giving practical. Information, information that can actually be recreated in the classroom with the various elements that make up brass. All right. And all right. I want you to play a whole note. I want you to play a half note. I want you to play a quarter note, a 16. It's a now you're going to you have it's practical. Yeah. And 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 it's go ahead.
1: And it's also tapping into the other side of the brain, where, where you know, reading and writing and arithmetic and memorizing and all that kind of stuff is left-brained. And we're denying, I think, a lot our right brain, which is a more creative, more interesting, if you ask me, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, side, side of the brain. And like you say, when it can be as practical and when you can apply it, when a kid can look at the brass instrument and sort of understand the concept of brass because he plays the instrument when they can apply it to their lives, that's much better learned and absorbed. I have said the same thing about, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic is kind of passe, except it's not. Everybody needs to know how to read. And somehow there are kids that graduate from high school without really knowing how to read. And that's a shame. But I think that, um, yeah, I think that the more rounded, the more creative, um, components are being ignored too much. And, I, and again, I'm glad I'm not a um, school administrator because I don't know what the answer is, but I think it needs to be revamped. I think that we're, because we are, we're still, the, the educational system is, I think, based on the 1940s when we were all farmers and kids, I don't know, something like that. It's from way long time ago and we really have not evolved a whole lot. So I would agree with you that reading, writing, arithmetic can be less emphasize perhaps and emphasize more. I'm of the of the thought that let the, let the kids decide what interests them the most, as long as it's not just football, which mm-hmm. is fine, but there needs to be a little bit more to that too. But find areas that interest them, whether it's, I mean, I'm right by the ocean, whether it's marine life or building a boat or Learning how to grow a garden. I mean, all all kinds of things. There's, and there's no right or wrong. And there's no oh well, you should do this, you should do that. Whatever floats their boat is what is going to serve them well. No pun intended. And then intended. take that to more <laughs> professional.
0: You know, yeah. For the
1: for the basics, help them figure out what what yeah. makes them really excited.
0: I mean, it can be done. The question is, do we have the polit- or Do we have the will to do it? Yeah. And to to I. I was talking with a gentleman who has an organization, a nonprofit down in San Diego, California, called Doors of Change, and um, he has found a way to get through to what he calls the TAY Tay group, which is the transitional age youth, which is from seventeen to twenty-five, and the folks who are much older who are living on this and they're homeless. I should I make that point. They are homeless youth, the elder, the older homeless people. They don't want help, in many instances, because of their pride. Yeah. Okay? But that's not the case with this group, this young people from 17 to 25. Their issue is trust. People have lied to them. So once he is able to uh, garner their trust, he introduces music. They've gotten instruments from many different bands, very popular bands. As a matter of fact, they have a concert coming up uh, with Three Dog Night in June. <laughs> and when they see other kids who have already made the crossover from I Don't Trust to I Do Trust, mm-hmm. and they're playing their instruments and they're making music and every, everything, the ones who haven't crossed over yet, who haven't made the transition, they they see this and they wanna be a part of it because they see what these others are, other people are doing, other young people are doing. Yeah. and many of these people have gone on he's had uh, several examples of people who've gone on to get their GED and they go on one of the gals went on to become a lawyer yeah <laughs> and so on and so forth yeah um, music seems to be a real key component in many of the programs we do on this on this a uh, uh, podcast videocast broadcast yeah. Can you uh, can we should we go down that road is do you find that that seems to be a sort of a, a, a universal tool in, in parenting? Because my parents, they made music a, an integral part of our lives, not whether we liked it or not, because we did.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that I can speak to this. My mother was extremely musical. She majored in music in, in college. this is my mother, so she's old and she mm-hmm. went to college a long time ago. but she has perfect pitch. she's, she's gifted as a musician. However, I was I didn't I wasn't forced. We all had to take piano lessons up for a certain number of years. And so that was just the you know, the rote, read the music. There was no. I didn't have the feel and the rhythm and all that kind of stuff. So that was not promoted. It was more sit down and learn your Chopin <laughs> and learn your scales and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and that's not really what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't have that much experience music. I I completely it makes complete sense to me. I can see I'm I can see more or I have seen more artwork whether the whether it's whatever the medium is. Kids that get into art um, can do, can go all kinds of places with it and do all kinds of things with it. And I think that that's similar to music. And perhaps music is even more universal and more, more, more than than um, visual art. But mm-hmm. it's all, it's all important. So, yeah, I would agree with you on the music completely.
0: Yeah, I would really, I would love to see uh, an emphasis on the, again, I'll use that term, the liberal arts Mm-hmm. Uh, Rather than the basics because you're going to learn as I said before you're going to learn these elements I mean again when you're talking about writing lyrics to a song you have to learn how to read Yeah, all right, and then you're going to learn about grammar. That's another element too. I'm a big bugaboo when it comes to grammar I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but I can hear it Uh, And I find one of the rules is violated like you would not believe uh, when I was working for the religious station in Phoenix in the 80s and early 90s, and I still hear it today. If a name or a thing ends with an S, you do not add another S. It's not, and I'll use this example. If, uh, let's say it's uh, uh, his staff, it's Jesus, though you don't see it when you say it, apostrophe, staff, not Jesus's. Okay? <laughs> it's Richard's staff, because there's no S at the end. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, you're right. <laughs> and I think as you're talking about this, I also think that the way that the world is going with technology and AI and all that kind of stuff, I don't think we need to worry about kids not knowing. I think it's all the more important to um, emphasize the liberal arts because AI and technology and that kind of, and computers and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. is there, and that's they don't need to learn anymore about that. It's gonna they're gonna learn it just living, so they need the stuff that they're not gonna be exposed to to be exposed to that much more when they're younger. Exactly. I like your I like your uh your your philosophy there.
0: And and I will also say this uh, as an addendum: this is not written in stone. <laughs>
1: okay, just an idea, right?
0: The educational <laughs> system has to learn to. Yeah, you know, I mean, we didn't in we, you know, the educational system was not something that came out of a vacuum, and then we, was, okay, this is the way it's always going to be, you know. Right. Open your eyes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Stay, anyway, see,
0: yeah,
1: see yeah. what's changing and how we need to keep up with the changing needs of our kids
0: exactly uh, yeah and I, I, I'm I'm all in favor of of the basics I really am I think they're important matter of fact I want to get rid of all uh, remedial courses at the college level if mm-hmm. you're outside of the uh, 12-year program you don't get remedial sorry uh-huh. what you do get what you do get between high school and college level courses is the remedial If you don't know it, I'm not going to sit here and blast you. Oh, what the hell is your problem? No, no, no. If you don't know it, let's get you to know it. If you don't know how to read, let's get you to learn how to read. If you don't know how to do basic math, let's get you to know how to do basic math. So that when you get to the college level, if that's the direction, and that's another question we'll go into in a moment. But if you get to the college level, you get to the college level uh, uh, running. You are ready to run after your dream right? If you have those basics. And, and speaking of which, um, in terms of the parental influence when it comes to uh, education at home, let's talk a little bit about that. I know a lot of people are not happy when kids come home with homework. We're not on again. Um Tell me uh, what what are your thoughts? How how do you address that? Let's say with your kids uh, as they were growing up, or are growing oh, up.
1: Hold uh, on one second, Richard. You I, you froze for quite a you froze for a couple of minutes for me.
0: Did you not hear anything I said? Nope. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about. Let me uh, let me mark. You that were talking
1: here. about reme- No remedial. If they're going to go to college, we're going to help you learn how to read and how right. to do math. Okay. And then you
0: and then you froze. All right. Mark that. Three, two, one. Let me ask you, uh, in regards to, to uh, uh, your raising your kids, how much uh, homework did they bring home? How much involvement did you have? Because a lot of parents, they don't want I don't, to, I don't know this stuff, this new math. I, I don't get this. I can't help you. Or the English or whatever it is. Uh, how much involvement did you as a parent have in the, that process of teaching your kids or helping them to learn?
1: It depends on the age. The younger they were, the more involved I was, certainly, because I could help them. (laughs) Um, And they and they need more guidance, I think, when they're younger and when they're in high school, they're on their own. If they have questions, I mean, I'll help if I can. But chances are I couldn't help. And it's really their responsibility with my gently nudging and guiding. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of parents who do (laughs) the homework for the kids. Oh, time and time again, I saw. You know, midnight comes, mom, I haven't finished this project. Can you do it for me? Sure, honey. I don't want you to get an incomplete or a zero. And so they would they would do it and the kid would hand it in. And so that was a that was a no lesson learned by anybody. So I the kids were the kids they they not were on their own, but it was their responsibility. And I wasn't gonna bail them out unless it was you know, an emergency unless they were in the emergency room the night before and they needed bailing out, whatever it was, but they were, they had to, they had to toe the line and I'd be happy to help them if I could. Eventually their oldest brother who, um, was a natural student was the one that the kids would always go to for help.
0: <laughs> what about the health and welfare of our children in this new revolution, uh, this new, uh, higher evolution? Um, my parents and I, I've actually interviewed them on this program, though it has not been made yet for public consumption. My mother said no, Uh, but it has been made available to the family members. Ah. But she I asked about uh, their involvement in our lives. Uh And they had made the decision very early on that they weren't going to step in unless we asked them Uh because it was our lives. And this was more as we got into our teen years and adult years. Right. And I remember with my first wife we were having an issue and I thought well who better to go to than a, a couple that's been married for uh, I think at that time it was uh, who had been married for 35 40 years. I mean mm-hmm. they've got the experience why not go to them they they, they you know. And so we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've always said no we we're not going to interfere. Uh, I remember after my first divorce they would tell me the stories my parents would say yeah that's the huh I would go. Well, then why didn't you guys say something? Because that's not our place to interfere. And yet you see that stereotypically in movies and television shows.
1: (laughs) It's true. It's your life to live. It's not their life to live. And I tell my kids that. They're like, they say, "Mom, you know, you may not get any grandkids. I may, I may not have kids." I'm like, "That's fine. It's your life. It's not my life." And I really don't believe in getting too involved in, or what I see a lot of is micromanaging and micromanaging, making the how about those movie stars who bought. Um, admission to UCLA or some of the great um, oh. California schools God. for their for their children, which is, for one thing, telling the kid that, oh, well, you couldn't do it on your own. So I had to do it for you. How, how embarrassing and humiliating for the kid. Um, they probably ended up in a college that they were way over their heads and I don't know but to but to micromanage and to um uh I don't know what the right word is but to force yourself into their lives and say this is what you need I know this is what I, I can do if they come I agree if they come to help for help then absolutely it is our job to drop everything and be there to help mm-hmm. um but to not take, not to take over and take charge and micromanage. And that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> My oldest calls me a little bit of a laissez-faire parent because I really stood back unless they needed me. But it's, what, it's what another term philosophies.
0: Would another term be a helicopter parent?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then there's, um, I don't know, I can't remember what his name is, but he came up with the term curling, you know, curling where you sweep the uh-huh. ice, the path for the rock to go down the ice. My favorite he, sport. He came up with this term of curling parents that frantically clear the path for their kids so that they have no bumps in the road. Mm -hmm. I like that one.
0: (laughs) You know, and you raise a very interesting uh, uh, perspective, uh, uh, interesting point, because um, I, as I may have mentioned uh, during this program, uh, I was bullied as a kid growing up. Okay, Mm -hmm. And my mother, my mother, uh, probably, I don't know, maybe 25 years ago. We were sitting talking and she apologized for not being able to help more, to protect mm-hmm. me more. And and again, I was in grade school. That was where the problem was. And certainly that's the place where the parent can step in and maybe should. You know, but there really wasn't much that they could do because by the time they would get involved, if they did, which they didn't really, and I don't blame them. But by the time they would get involved, the whole thing's already over because this is happening during school. Um, So, you know, it's it's one of those situations where uh, at what age do you sort of cut the apron strings and say, oh, you're on your own. And whereas my brother and I in particular, we, we we started heading out on our own probably in seventh or eighth grade. I delivered newspapers in eighth grade all the way through high school. I was, you know, always out of the house. I, I regret actually missing my mother's college graduation. She went to junior college for her nursing degree. And I thought it was more important to go collect uh, money from my customers at the on the newspaper route than yeah. to go to my mother's. Gra- yeah, so I yeah. there's there's one of those <laughs> there's one of those situations where oops, you know. <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, she she still loves me. I'm still her son.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, when when you're talking about uh, a higher evolution, can you define that for us a little bit more? I and mean, we talked a little bit about it already, but maybe for those who are just joining us, uh, what is what is this higher evolution? Is it a metaphysical or spiritual construct?
1: A little, uh, perhaps a little bit. I think it's a, I think of it as a higher consciousness in the way people live. And if we can start helping our kids to be more mindful and conscious, as in consciousness, um, which is a great time to do it, it will just naturally flow into their adult lives and so with mindfulness comes gratitude and compassion and kindness towards others um less selfishness and more selflessness um and i would put along with that less materialism less grasping on to the material things that make us happy so a lot of it is a lot of it is spiritual and but I am, I'm big into consciousness and raising the consciousness of the world. And I believe that with the place that makes most sense to do it with kids before they already establish their ways and don't know what consciousness is, but to teach them when they're young, which means we need parents who are mindful and conscious and at least have a little bit of interest in knowing what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> do you find that most parents are conscientious About raising their kids or is it uh, is it less than in that respect where, you know, yeah, we had these kids uh, and um, I don't really care. You know, I mean, they're here and they're going to do what they're going to do. And I have no control over them. And and it's just kind of it's kind of like letting the weeds grow
1: yeah i see definitely both ends and the second part of what you're talking about the ones that are less conscientious and just just couldn't care less uh, i see disturbingly high numbers of those which really it just surprises me it amazes me when i when we used to when i used to work in nursing we used to talk about how you, some parents should have a license for one thing some parents shouldn't be allowed to, to reproduce it's not a very mm-hmm. uh, politically correct thing to say, but some should have a license. I mean, so yeah, there are certain people that are far from being mindful or conscious. They, uh, but I also think that most parents would believe that they're trying to be conscientious. They're trying the best that they are, and they probably are. I'm sure they are trying. Well, I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm sure that they believe that they're trying the best. I, I, I'm not quite sure about that. It's it's disturbing.
0: What about what about sacrifice? Um, Again, in my interview with my parents, it's my point of reference. I asked them about that because it's often been said, oh, my God, your parents had six kids. I must have sacrificed a lot. So I asked them the question, did you guys sacrifice anything to have such a big family? And they said, no, we Mm -hmm. wanted a big family. So there was no sacrifice. Um, Do you think that most parents especially today they they don't plan ahead they don't say this is what we want it's more oh this is what's happening
1: yeah I think that um I will speak for as a as a female as a woman as a mother I think that that um, between having a career and having a family that's where sacrifice comes you can't I don't think people will argue with me but I really don't think you can have at 100% both ways. You can't be 100% there for your kids. You can't be 100% there for your job. And so parents have decided mothers to stay home for a while. They sacrifice their career and vice versa. And I think that that's the only time that I think there's a sacrifice. If I had to do it all over again, I would have sacrificed my career and done all about my kids. But Mm -hmm. um, there's no sacrifice in having kids, I don't think. There's just nothing, for me, Mm -hmm. nothing better in the world, nothing more satisfying
0: at all and in terms of the uh the planning uh Uh they certainly didn't plan on having uh four children who had uh uh, uh, (coughs) limitations i I called them perceived limitations our vision i was born legally blind i could see Uh Uh, my brother, the same. I don't know if he was declared legally blind or not. Uh, I just I know about me. Uh, my eldest sister, of course, had asthma as, as a kid growing up. I don't know that my second oldest sister had any conditions that I'm aware of. They didn't plan on this. And obviously, there's great expense there. But hopefully, they had the kind of insurance back then probably was pretty good. Uh, they were able to afford to take us to the eye doctor and to do this surgery and that surgery and so forth and so on. Um, today, it's it's a far cry from that. Uh, in terms of, you know, saying okay, we need to set aside a nest egg, and that's really hard to do today. Uh, if, if if you know you you know, you say that if I had to, my brothers to do it all over again, I'd choose my kids, and I would you know, set aside my career. But a lot of times, it's not so much career; it's just I got to work because otherwise, yeah. we're not going to have any food.
1: You're right, and I don't think that people. I know that people don't plan. You have no idea what it's going to be like to have a child, let alone two or three or four. Just and the way it changes your life and living never mind your finances i don't think that i don't think you can plan it's just like getting married you you know you have maybe a plan but you have no idea how it's going to work out and what's going to come along and get thrown in the middle and fro- thrown in front of you and with kids you just you you don't get you can't I, I just don't think you can plan you can plan the best that you can but there will always be surprises thrown at you and monkey mm-hmm. wrenches thrown in so to be flexible and, I don't know, open-minded perhaps.
0: <laughs> that would be nice. A parenting <laughs> revolution for uh, for higher evolution. Uh, that is what we're talking about here with our very special guest. And her name, of course, is Julie Hatch. Julie Phillips. Hatch.com is the website. We hope that you will uh Click on the link that we're going to make available to you. It's juliephillipshatch.com and find out more about the work that she is doing. That's J-U-L-I-E-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-H-S-H-A-T-C-H dot com. And as I said, we will be linked to her website. Um, As we continue here on this program called Tell Me Your Story, I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And the subject of parenting... Though we are speaking about uh, parenting of uh, human children, not furry children uh, in that respect. Uh, Some people will say, well, but there's a similarity. These are my fur babies, you know, and so forth. And they treat them like humans. Ah, Fine. Uh, Because I probably do the same thing with our chickens, although they're not wandering out inside the house. Don't get me wrong. But uh, one of the things is this is this a bad technique, parenting technique? The child is misbehaving. I need to find out why the child is misbehaving, not get the child to stop misbehaving. Because in raising animals, like a dog specifically, it's the former. I need to find out why the dog is behaving that way. I don't try to change his behavior necessarily at that moment. I need to understand why that behavior is there. And then... I can go from there to maybe get the dog to refocus his energy on something else. What What are your thoughts? Uh, let the child be and figure out why the child is or get the child to stop misbehaving.
1: Um, you might in the moment need to get them to stop misbehaving. Like if they are hitting the person ahead of you in the grocery line, that is not acceptable behavior. Right. and So you need to remove them and, and fix it or make a stop. But behavior in kids, I believe, and maybe it's also from dogs. I would have said opposite from what you said in dogs. I would fix the behavior and not try to figure out why they're doing it. But with kids, definitely figure out where it's coming from. Behavior, mm-hmm. I believe, 99 times out of 100 is um, communication and expression of something that they, that they can't express verbally. or So they act out, they lash out, they misbehave. And it's their way of saying, something sucks, something is just not right, and I'm going to let you know about it. They don't get up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to misbehave today, and I'm going to do this action, this action, that's not it. They have something triggers them, and they yeah, something triggers them, and they lash out and they misbehave on that. So it's our job to try to figure out what it is that they're trying to communicate to us. Mm. Even when they're, even when they're verbal, they still even adults sometimes can't verbalize exactly what's going on inside of them emotionally. Yeah. Um, so with kids, we need to help tease out what it is emotionally that's going on that's making them behave this way. It because is. Really, they're, I think that innately they are. I think people innately are good. Kids are not out there to. Well, they seem like they're out there to make our lives miserable, but they're not really. They're, uh, it's just, it's just something inside of them isn't isn't feel good.
0: Yeah, and I know it's a challenge even from my standpoint uh, to try to figure out why my wife might be feeling and expressing herself in the way that she is. Uh, uh, you know, and it's like, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? She's not in a place to tell me. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. a kid is not in a place to tell you at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so then you shut down the words for the moment, and then actions. You you go in there and you maybe try to get them to re, to focus on something else for the moment. Focus on you, you know, whatever the case might be, so yep. that then they can calm down and then they can tell you what yep. in the world's going on.
1: And it may be, it may be a day or two or three before they decide to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, refocus their attention. Just take take their attention away. In my book, there is um, a great questionnaire into finding out what your kid's element type is, and that will tell you a lot about what triggers them. What different kids have different triggers. Like, one child may. Um, be told to go outside and play with a bunch of kids, you know, go play on the playground and go interact with a whole bunch of people. And one kid will love that. They'll run out and one kid who has a different element type, a different type of child will say, no, I do not want to go out there. If you make me go out there, I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm going to cry or do whatever. So figuring out what stresses, what, moti- what motivates your child, but also what challenges and stresses them gives you, gives you a, a hint, a little bit of a hint as to what's going to make them misbehave.
0: Hmm. Julie Hatch is my guest and a parenting revolution for higher evolution. Uh, this, to me, is, is uh, fascinating from the standpoint of a better understanding not just our children, but also ourselves. Uh, I think that it, that is part of the process in raising resilient, responsible, compassionate kids from the inside out. And uh, this is uh, Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I wanted to ask you, Julie, Julie Hatch, author of "A Parenting Revolution for Higher Evolution: uh, Raising Resilient, Responsible, Compassionate Kids from the Inside Out." I wanted to ask you uh, about um, a situation that developed. I, I when my my first wife and I moved into a neighborhood in Phoenix where uh, it was a two-car driveway, covered parking, covered driveway. And it had a basketball pole mounted off to the side there to where if there had been a backboard and a rim up there, we could have played basketball. So I went out and got a backboard and a rim, and I painted it with the Phoenix Suns logo. Uh, You know, you could tell it was hand-painted, but uh, I was having a lot of fun with it. I put it up there, and I wanted the kids in the neighborhood to know that this was a place they could come play. I wanted to kind of foster that, but I would tell them, I said, look, this is not the NBA You're not going to play by those rules. This is for people to have fun, okay? This is for us to enjoy ourselves. And we did for quite a while. Uh, And then one morning I come out and somebody had jumped up and pulled down the rim to where it was hanging by the fiberglass. Uh. And nobody came along to say, I'm sorry, I did that. It was an accident, da-da-da-da-da. So finally, I just took it down, and I didn't even bother to put it back up again. I I was so, I was so disgusted uh, from that standpoint, and I thought, man, I just I don't get it. I, I just don't understand why, and so forth. Uh, when adults, be they parents or otherwise, when they make those kinds of efforts, especially, and I don't know, maybe this is inappropriate uh, in a neighborhood, but. To, to try to foster uh, some kind of positive um, influence, an atmosphere in a neighborhood, and something like that happens. Uh, the, uh, hey, maybe I should have gone out and bought a new rim and backboard and painted it again and put it up. And then the same thing happens, and you keep doing it and doing it and doing it, expecting it not to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hated not to put it back up. Yeah. Be- because we had a I'm lot... Not- I had a lot of fun out there.
1: How nice of you to have put that up in the first place. How long did it last? How long were they able to enjoy it for?
0: I'm thinking maybe three or four months.
1: Ah, that's nice. It is. It's a shame. It absolutely is a shame that that happened. Um, and do you don't have any idea who. who no. Uh, did you know the kids?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. The kids. I matter of fact, uh, the, some of the kids, uh, actually, one, of, one set of kids lived next door to us. Uh, but they were not tall enough to reach uh that rim so it had to be a, an older uh person uh who came along and said oh this will be fun this will be okay and and i would not have been upset with the person who had done it <clears throat> if they had owned it if they'd owned right. up to it and said hey yeah i did that i'm really sorry okay no yep. problem uh, you know, we can, we can, we can do it, uh, several different ways. You can come up with a few dollars to help me buy another one and I'll pitch in the rest or I'll just go ahead and buy another one. If, if, you know, you'd be more careful next time, I'll be more than happy to put it back up, but nobody came along and did to do that. Yeah. That's,
1: that's a shame. So, you know, I don't know, I can't what about, speak to that about for the poor child, but you
0: know, maybe what about instilling honesty though, in, in children that's and right. responsibility. And do
1: they learn? Where they learn honesty, they learn it at home.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I
1: put a lot on the parents' shoulders. They whatever ki- kids learn honesty and respect and manners at home. That's where their that's where their reference point is. So, um, my guess is that that act of and I don't know if it was an anger or why they did it um, is a is a reaction to something. Maybe it's a reaction to something going on at home. I don't know. But yeah. you're right. The honesty is the honesty is really the important part, and why. I think that you learn honesty from
0: home yeah. or from
1: your elder, from whoever your influential people are around you.
0: Yeah, I remember um, I had one incident when I was a young kid living at home. Uh, I don't know, I had nine, eight or nine. We had this circle K on the corner in our neighborhood. And I stole one of these tiny little flashlights. And, of course, one of my parents saw it and said, where'd you get that? He said, you don't have any money. And of course they knew I had stolen it. So the next thing I know we're going to the circle K and I'm returning it and apologizing. Never. Yeah. I never did that again. I don't know what, what made me think it was okay in the first place. Uh, you know, I wasn't being pressured by anybody to do it for some reason. I just thought it wasn't a big deal. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that ever again. You know? Yeah.
1: I think, I think kids, I don't think you were strange at all. I think, not all kids, you know, have a little kleptomaniac episode in their childhood, but mm. I think most do. For what I don't know why. Like you say, you don't know why you did it. But the that key is is that your parents made you go back and apologize and say, "Oh, mea culpa, sorry, I'll give it back." And that's that. Wasn't that a great lesson? Look, you still remember it? How many years later?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, probably a good uh, 55, 56 years later. There's a great country <laughs> song actually with a line in that goes, "Dad, I'm watching you, not." I'm watching you. You better watch out. No. He tells this story about what his dad was doing, and he did this and that and the other thing, and this was all a good thing. And he says, hey, Dad, I'm watching you because I'm learning from you. You're Mm -hmm. teaching me. Then that's that's what the song's message is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I love that. I love that. Um, It's very, very interesting stuff. Julie Hatch is my guest. JuliePhillipsHatch.com is the website and the book. The book that we're talking about, the, the general subject that we are conversing about, has to do with a parenting revolution for higher evolution, raising resilient, responsible, compassionate kids from the inside out. And I don't think it's really that hard these days. It's just a question of, I think, a parent's level of um, commitment. You know, yeah. uh, commitment to the kind of legacy... and. Do, let me ask you about that. In terms of parenting, um, first of all, my parents are now, and, I, and of course they obviously never thought they would have to deal with this, they're not dealing with the loss of one of their children. And my father, of course, he made the statement, you know, that parents aren't supposed to bury their children. Mm-hmm. But uh, they have a heck of a legacy that they're leaving behind when they go, when they die. Uh, between my eldest sister and my youngest sister and all of the tentacles of the family tree that go out from there and um, I'd like to think that that what I'm doing with these programs is part of that of their legacy as well as mine
1: yeah
0: is that something uh, is that part of this higher evolution thinking about, the legacy that you're going to leave behind that you really have to be present in the present moment, awake and aware and conscious, conscious in order to even think about the kind of legacy you're leaving behind.
1: Right. If you want to be a positive, leave a positive contribution to the world, which I certainly think of with my boys that I want them to be a positive contribution to the world. You know, I maybe didn't think that when they were young and when I was in the throes of the adolescence and the preteen years. But um, yeah, you can, there's, there's, it's really powerful. The legacy that, and I, you know, legacy is a fancy word for what I'm thinking, but, (laughs) but it's true. It's what you're, it's what you're leaving behind. Um, And I, again, I didn't have kids for that purpose. Um, But it absolutely is part of of the, the responsibility of being a parent is leaving the, leaving the legacy and, and contributing positively to the world through the children that you raise, the best that you can. You know, yeah. nobody's perfect, <laughs> but the best that you can.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Julie Phillips Hatch is my guest, and we're talking about a parenting revolution for higher, e- higher evolution. And uh, you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and. Uh, Julie, I want to ask you three final questions as we wrap up our interview. But before I do, I want to thank you so much for your insights. There's still a lot more, uh, certainly, uh, that we could talk about in regards to parenting. And I guess the one final question on the subject itself before we get to those three final questions. Is there, a, un, is there an underlying um, message... I don't want to say goal because I don't think that my parents had a family for a particular goal in mind. Um, it's it's what they wanted was a big family and have that to have that experience. But is there an underlying message in your book, uh, sort of a, a mission statement, shall we say, uh, beyond the title and, and obviously the subtitle?
1: Yeah, the message is that... Um... And this is what makes can make parenting easier, is that your child is their own individual with their own inner nature, their own spirit, their own essence, and they are their own unique individual. And they come into this world as their own unique individual. And we nurture them, and we take care of them, and we, you know, feed them and clothe them and bathe them. But they are their own person, and they have the right to. Um, and it's our job to. Honour that individuality in them, that that inner essence in them. It's their soul. It's just a part of them. And so it's our job to honour that, or it's our responsibility, I think, to honour that, nourish that, help them launch into the world knowing what their inner nature is all about and living accordingly.
0: Well, again, I thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights through the work that you are doing. And we certainly hope that uh, folks will get a copy of your book through your website, which is juliephillipshatch.com. And we will be linked to your website so people can do just that. And it's also available certainly through all of the other uh, outlets, uh, Amazon and so forth. And if you've got a brick and mortar in your neighborhood, who knows? They might even have it as well. Uh, Before I ask you the three final questions, I do want to talk to you, the listener and the viewer. Uh, who are listening to and viewing, watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We also remind you of a special edition on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and other locations across the Internet, so... uh, Google us, look us up, but we hope that you will enjoy, as well as go to YouTube to watch these interviews. And uh, we are also encouraging you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, where we ask you to spend some time going within and listening to that still small voice. I'll bet you, uh, Julie, that uh, if if parents stopped for just a moment to listen to that still small voice within, they would get some good parenting guidance, you think?
1: Absolutely. There it you go. It's said than done, but yep, you're absolutely
0: <laughs> right. Hey, with six kids, I bet you it was hard to find a quiet space uh, in, our, in our house when we were growing up. Oh, uh, yeah. And, folks, if you'd like to support the work we're doing, you like the programming, you like the guests and the subject matter that we're talking about, and you'd like to be a part of this financially, we would greatly appreciate that. Just send us a contribution through PayPal. Uh, It's there for your security as well as ours. And uh, when you go there to send, there's a link actually on our homepage of richarddugan.com. You click on that and you just put in the amount that you want to support us with, which we are eternally grateful for. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, And uh, we appreciate it very much. So with all of that, we are now going to go to our final three questions. And uh, they are in this order. Number one, who is Julie Phillips Hatch? Who is Julie Phillips Hatch? That is the question.
1: Oh my gosh that is a that's a trick question because i can tell you my identity as a nurse practitioner and a mother and an acupuncturist but that's not who i am who i am is uh in here and um i can't put into words who sorry about that um you know my identity is like i say a nurse practitioner mother acupuncturist um but my soul is is not those my soul is something deeper And difficult to put into words. Okay.
0: What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now?
1: I want to, as I said, my passion is kids. I believe that kids deserve the best. They count on us to get what they need from life. They count on us to get what they need, not necessarily what they want. And I want to help My passion is to help these kids grow up to live a happy life, whatever happy means, a successful life, whatever success means to them, a life that they are meant to live, which is which is a much easier life to live than what perhaps we are told we're supposed to live. Mm.
0: And finally, what is your life's purpose?
1: My life's purpose, I believe, was to have and raise my three boys and so now they are grown, they're on their own, but they're still once a mother, always a mother. And um, so my purpose is still to continue to support them as appropriate at the age that they're at and to help other, other parents with their kids. Um, I, I really, I wanna make the world a better place for kids because kids are gonna make the world a better place for us in the future.
0: Well, Julie, thank you again for joining us here on Tell Me Your Story. It's been a great pleasure to have you on the program and to talk about the work that you are doing now. And I hope that we get a chance to talk to you again in the near future.
1: Thank you very much, Richard.
0: And I thank you you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world as we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to all. And Jeanette, I'm listening.